If this is empty, this doesn't matter. I'm glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Me too. You're doing great. The only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Is that my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. All right, go bros. I have a guest. And, you know, a lot of times on these shows, we have guests that have been in the GoBundance system for a long time. They understand the one sheet and they understand a lot of our lingo and, and the way we talk and the way we do things. AJ Osborne is uh, new to the system. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit different. We're going to get to some nitty gritty nonetheless, but we're going to basically uh, spend a little more time getting to know him and talking about some really good stuff because he's got some really good insights on investing and the future of investing and what's working, what's not, and all things in between. So without further ado, AJ Osborne, welcome to Grab Life Big, the Go Bundits podcast. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. Why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, AJ, uh, so they get to know you better? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm up here in the Northwest, live in Boise, Idaho. Uh, I have assets across Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Nevada, primarily self-storage. I have commercial office space though too, but it's primarily self-storage. I own over a million square feet in real estate. And I also have a brokerage company that I own and run as well as a few online ventures, but I have four kids, an incredible wife. And, you know, GoBundance has come to me at an interesting time in my life. I met a few of your GoBundance members, uh, David Green, uh, I on their podcast, Bigger Pockets, and um, I talked to those guys and they were just awesome. I was really impressed with them. And I kept seeing David Green posting online. So I reached out and asked him about it. But really, I, I met these guys at an interesting time because I just got out of the hospital and I'd been paralyzed for, I still am partially paralyzed, but I was on life support for months and I'd gotten out of the hospital and I decided to take my family after about eight, nine months, and I was still in a wheelchair, but we wanted to just kind of get away, really. So we went to Hawaii, and we're just spending some time, and I was trying to figure out what to do with life, because I ran our state's largest brokerage firm, uh, which is insurance. We worked with large corporations like Albertsons and a few other Fortune 500 companies, and I, I ran it. They paid me really, really well. I didn't necessarily need the income because I um, had my other businesses that were running, but that was kind of what I did. And that's kind of how I identified myself. And even though I had a million square feet in storage, and I, I love that, I love real estate really is my passion, but that's what I'd always done and how I'd like really identified with myself. But once I become became paralyzed and was on life support, we didn't know for a long time whether I was even going to live or not. Then after that, we didn't know if I would ever leave the hospital or if I walk or anything else like that. So we had to kind of figure out, you know, life and we had to figure out what we wanted to do, not only as a family, like what that meant for us, but I needed to figure out what my life looked like. Cause I'm not a guy that wants to sit around. I, yes, I could have uh, sat around, right. And just hung out with the kids and uh, my wife, but that's not who I am. I, I, I have a lot of really big goals that I want to accomplish and things to do. And that was really hard for me not knowing how my life was going to play out. So I was there in Hawaii and I actually I ran into Brandon and it was kind of funny because I noticed him and I got talking with him, Brandon Turner, and um, he asked me to be on the podcast or whatnot. And that was actually kind of a pivotal change for me and my life. Wait, wait a minute. Let me yeah. So much of a story. First of all, first short question is what were you just hanging out on the beach and Brandon Turner started walking by with his kids or something? Yeah. Like, no, hey, he was your pockets, dude. Yeah. He, he was walking by with a buddy or something. I was actually on a red scooter because uh, I uh, couldn't really walk. And uh, so I was going by and he'd walk by. And to be honest, I didn't know who he was. 
but I felt, I was like, I know you somehow. And so he kind of walked by and I turned around and I was like, I just looked at him. I'm like, Hey, Brent, or I didn't say Brent. I was like, Hey, and he turned around. I'm like, do I know you? And he's like, I don't know. Do I know you? And his friend kind of put it together. He's like, do you know Bigger Pockets? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, this is Brent Turner. So it was nice meeting him and stuff. It was just completely random. We were just walking down. It was right on the ocean. And so we sat. One of those motorcycle, uh, riding one of those uh, wheelchair scooter things. Yeah. (laughs) And so totally random. And met him. That's really the first introduction to this group and everything, which came at a very pivotal time for me in my life so i'm really serendipity so so okay so let's go back a little bit so what the hell happened like why what if you don't mind me asking like no absolutely you know i've always been a very outgoing athletic person i I backpack i'm a big backcountry skier fly fisher you know i love the outdoors mountains and being in idaho it's what we do and so i always healthy nothing was ever wrong no family history of anything crazy at all nothing and I was at the PGA tour down in California with my wife and we were there enjoying and taking some larger clients out and playing. And we, and I started to not feel good. Like I started getting aches and leg pains. So I actually went, I'm like that night, my wife was going to bed. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go for a run. Little did I know it was the last time I was going to run for you. So wait a minute. So you just figured you needed to stretch or you had yes. that, like whatever, like you're, your legs were hurting and you're like, you yep. know what, I just, because I get like that sometimes too. It's more yeah. anxiety, like, right? I feel like I need to run or I feel like I need to go work out. But uh, so the, you just felt it was like that, but it was actually something else. Keep going. Yes. And so I went around and it didn't really take care of it, but I went to bed. The next day we went and we're at a wedding stuff. And that night I was like, my legs still hurt. So went to the ER and because it, it was weird. It, it got to a point where I'm like, I was like, honey, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but it's crazy, right? This is not normal. And so we went to the ER and they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. You are fit as a fiddle. And they sent me home. So I went home, got in the bathtub because my legs hurt, went to get out and I couldn't move my legs anymore. So my wife got me out of the tub and she took me to the hospital and they argued for days what was wrong with me is the paralysis was getting higher. I guess not days, it was like 18 hours. But finally, some neurosurgeon in the hospital heard something about it and was like, I think I may know what this is. turns out it was something called Guillain-Barre. That's where your white blood cells attack your nervous system. And he's like, we got to get you to a bigger hospital like now because you're, you shortly could no longer be able to function. And within hours, the paralysis had risen. I was unable to breathe. I was paralyzed all the way to my eyes. They hooked me up to life support and machines that breathe and fed me and kept my body working. And I lied there for 11 months where, or 11 weeks where most of the time we didn't know if I was going to live or what would ever happen. So the only thing you could move for 11 weeks, which is basically three months, were your eyeballs. Yeah. So I couldn't speak for 10 weeks, no communication, because the breathing tubes, they cut a hole in my neck and I... I literally, my lungs wouldn't work. So normally if you have a breathing tube coming out of your neck, what they'll do is they'll change the way the air comes so you can breathe. But my lungs wouldn't work, so they couldn't even do that. So I couldn't even speak. And then eventually I started to, about 10 weeks, they go, we think he may be able to at least breathe again. And so then slowly from there, they took me off the ventilating system that was in my neck and I could start to talk. But for that time, no, I, I could move my eyes and I communicated through blinking. They put what was me your in conscious coma. state? Yeah, what was your conscious? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I was, I, so I was totally alert. I woke up out of my coma. They put me into a coma. And when I came out of my coma, I opened How my long? Eyes. How long were uh, you? Three days. Not very long. There's three days you were to- asleep. Yes. Yeah. And then and at then, that point, would like, like conscious, like, like today would be 100%. Yes. You're laying there in the bed on day four or whatever. What level are you stoned from the drugs or what have you versus like awake? Like what the hell's going on? So it was in and out and something weird happens when you're paralyzed because I had the drugs, but I began to hallucinate a lot. And it's a twofold reason. Like not only did, was it because of the drugs, but when your body, so you operate off senses, right? Like touch, feeling, you know, when you're standing on the ground, everything else like that. But when your brain can no longer communicate with the rest of your body, 
my mind has no way to understand the surroundings. Something I guess we don't think about, I never did. So when people would come into the room and they'd be talking, my brain was cultivating information around me to develop a sense of my surroundings. So somebody would come in and they may start talking about being in Japan, right? All of a sudden my brain would tell me, you're in Japan because it didn't know where I was. And so I would have times and periods where I would go completely like I would think, even though I'd be talking to people, interacting with people, I would think that we were on an island or I would think that we were somewhere else. So I could see and consciously, though, I knew what was happening. They'd come and they'd talk to me. My wife would come every morning. They'd have to tell me, this is where you're at. This is what's going because I was freaking out. And it, it didn't help that I was under immense amount of pain. Like the pain was mind boggling. They couldn't even do it. I would sweat until I passed out from pain. I didn't sleep for weeks and weeks and but, weeks. But you could, could you feel the pain or did you just know the pain was happening, but then it was covered up? So my nerves were all ripped apart. So they were just freaking out and my brain was interpreting it as if my body had been blown up to bits and was shredded to pieces because all my nerves were ripped. So the pain that I was feeling was everywhere. It was burning. It was if I was crushed and it was constant and never ended. And they really couldn't give me enough drugs to ever stop it because they're like, there's only so much you can do with the nerves. The nerves are telling your brain there's lots of things going wrong and we just can't do it. Take care of that with drugs. So I was heavily, heavily medicated to try to help me with the pain so I could sleep, so I could function. And two, I was having what's called ICU delirium as well as being fully paralyzed. So it was a rough time to say the least. It was pretty much living hell for months. And the problem though was, is I was conscious. I understood. My wife would talk to me. I remember it today. And they, I'd see my children and uh, we, we waited for a month. I think it was about a month. My wife didn't want to bring the children in because I looked terrifying. I was hooked up to tubes everywhere. And so she would bring in, we just had a baby, three months. And she would bring the baby in and she'd set the baby beside me and the baby would play with my face and I'd play with him by moving my mouth. And so I'd move my mouth around and he'd put his hands on my face and that's how I interacted with my family. And then uh, after about a month, my wife decided we have to bring the kids in and show them because at that point, I don't know that they knew that I was ever going to change. So they're like, we have to show the children what's happened. Wait a minute, so they, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute. The doctor said he might be like this forever. Yes. Actually, the next person in our area, the Treasure Valley, that went in, he, it, same thing happened to him after me. He's still fully paralyzed, and this is a year ago. I mean, they don't think he'll ever come back at all. He, he'll never regain any strength. Same disease or whatever. Yes, exact same thing. And so I'm very fortunate. I recovered better than any of them had. What they do? they fix this? They, there's nothing to fix. So what, what happens is after your white blood cells, all their job was to do was to keep me alive. And then it was, it's a guessing game from there. So they said, we keep him alive, but we can't fix it. It's up to his body and his body will either recover or it won't. And the doctors and nurses say, we don't have any clue of the outcome. We don't like know. It's common cold, right? You just got to sweat it out. Yep. Exactly. For a year. Yep. I'm approaching two years and um, my lower legs are still paralyzed. Lo what does that mean? Lower leg, like below the knee or something? Below the knee. So I wear leg braces. And so I can walk and I look normal. People don't realize I have leg braces on because I've gained back strength. I lost 70 pounds. My muscle lying in bed just evaporated. So I lost 70 pounds and um, had basically no muscle mass at all. I had to relearn how to do everything. Use my hands, eat, we had videos of me learning how to try to use forks and I had speech, occupational speech therapy. I had to relearn how to live. And then too, I had to relearn also how to live in this new state that I was in, which was ongoingly unknown. And so it's been a long, long road for me. And I like to say that real estate saved my financial life because it did. I wasn't able to return to work. You know, the corporate people, <laughs> workforce up, they came to me in the hospital and they were like, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, yeah, I, you're moving off and you're disabled now. And so they're like, you're going to disable, which by law, if you're disabled, you can't have a working relationship with an employer. So my employment evaporated. And yeah, so, wait, wait, wait. yeah. If you're disabled, you can't, oh, that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? No, so dis, uh, disabled and go on to disability. So I was on disability while you're I was on in disability, right? Yes. Okay. And so you cannot have a working relationship on disability. Of course. So, yeah, right. 
one yes. or the other. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. So my job effectively evaporated, which it was going to evaporate. And what was it like? Just out of curiosity, because this yeah. goes, goes to the question of real estate. Like, what was your disability? What was your insurance paying you? Or what it, was it? It, pay, it paid me ten thousand dollars a month. I didn't have to pay taxes, but that wasn't even that wasn't even a fourth of what I was making. Okay. So it's like, yeah, it was nice, but they it, still pay you that. No, no, nope. that stopped. That stopped. They don't. They the reason being is after the first year, they say you make more than this, so we're not going to pay you, and so they don't want you to make too much money, and so I stopped at it. But I, I didn't need it, right? And I was very, yeah. very fortunate that I didn't need it. So I, for this, the corporate, the corporate job that I was making paid me about three hundred thousand dollars plus bonuses, things like that. So I was on track, everywhere four or five hundred thousand dollars, and I ran my other businesses and everything on the side, so it was worth it. I was paid roughly my startup. So I'd started up my real estate company and that had actually become profitable the year that I went in. Amazing timing on all of it. And I was getting my distributions, everything else like that, which we do around seven to 800,000 a month from that. Then we pay our management people. And then I own just over 25% of it. So I make about 250, 300,000 dollars, roughly 30, 35,000. Once again, it, it fluctuates. We have slow seasons, big seasons and rate increases, but on average 30 to $40,000 a month from that. But once again, I'd lost $40,000 a month in income. So I was on yeah. track to do over a million. Easy. So, so let me, let me again, slow you down. This is yeah. fascinating. Um, okay. So the 35 grand, right. <laughs> which supplemented your 40 grand plus the disability, which is, again, this is a great great example of why horizontal income is so much better than vertical income because it uh -huh. couldn't work anymore. What exactly was it and how did you get started in it? Absolutely. So I was running a brokerage firm and um, a brokerage firm business. I was partners with my, some of my family members and I, we, I, I had, I was trying to, I was growing the business, heading up mergers acquisitions. So we were buying up other companies and it, it was transactional based and uh, what I learned very quickly that I couldn't, my goal was to compound my returns out at a known rate of return. I wanted to be in a business model where I could allocate revenues that were coming in and I could redeploy the revenues and the capital into the business and get a known rate of return, which was what we were trying to imitate in mergers and acquisitions, right? I would take our capital, inject it into mergers and acquisitions. Go up. One of the problems was those cash flows were unsustainable because we had clients, right? Clients would pay us. And we did an acquisition. I did an acquisition. Yes. Slow that. Explain that a little bit better. Your, yeah. Those returns were unsustainable because we had clients. So we have a relationship with our client who paid us a commission, right? So let's say we have a company that's 500 employees. They pay us $80,000 a year, right? That client though can change at any time. So I don't own those revenue streams. And even though we own the business, we kind of, I, it's almost like I tricked myself into thinking that I own the revenue streams because I own the business, but I didn't. Those revenue streams weren't owned by me. They were clients that were subject to leave me at any time. And so we did an acquisition and most of the large clients, we, it was really bad. We kind of gotten fandangled by the owner, ended up in a lawsuit really bad, but it went south and some of the large clients went away and it was a wake up call for me. Like I don't own that revenue. That revenue is not mine. Yeah, I'm basically yeah. hoping and praying that I can keep it. It's an illusion. Everything's an illusion, right? I mean, okay. And 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 but and and then at what point did you go into storage units? So after that happened, I thought we need a new model where we could grow true wealth that we owned and was away from us working that we wouldn't have to work to actually made earn money for you rather than yep. human beings. Exactly, and that would come at known rates of return. I could analyze it mathematically and see what I'd get. The revenues from there, I could then redeploy and buy another asset that I know would generate the same returns, which would then allow me to compound my returns. And I could effectively scale at a certain point, which I created models and figured out what points we would need to scale and where we would need to be. Now, the thing was though, I needed above average returns and I needed something that fit in with my core competencies. And because what, I was- what, what is your, What's your definition of above average returns? A average market returns anywhere from six to 
7%. I was really looking for 100 plus percent returns. And <laughs> <Okay>. so. <laughs> no, I'm that's like, good. I mean, that's yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew I needed to do something different, but I knew it needed to be in real estate. And so we looked at real estate asset class that we actually didn't believe was real estate at all. And that was self-storage. And we believe that a lot of people own self-storage facilities, but they didn't even know what they owned. It's an actual functioning operating business. And I could buy it like a merger and acquisition and I could change the operations, I could change the looks, and then I could do things like dynamic pricings like they do in airlines and I could add lines of revenue and manage employees and I could just skyrocket the revenues. And so it was a value add strategy that was kind of like on steroids. And that's what we did. And so we would buy up storage facilities. I'd put in, like we found one where we put in, we bought it, it was about, I think 120,000 square feet, 60% occupied, it was all 10 by 10s, everything like that. We bought it for 2.2 million and it was getting 23 cents a square foot. Within six months, we wait, had it. Wait, wait, let's slow this down. So where was this, first of all? This was in Idaho. In Idaho. Yes. Is this the first one you did? Um, the second one. Okay. So 2.2 mil and 40% of the units, of the storage units were empty. And how many storage units were total? About 600 doors. 600. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So two, you had 250 roughly empty freaking boxes, 250 empty units. And you bought this. Now, what, what, what kind of numbers was it doing when you bought it for 2.2 mil? 20, I think it was about 16,000 a month. And it does 150,000 a month now. 16,000 to 150,000? Yeah, it went, it's worth somewhere like 12 million, 13 million. Okay, so th- again, th- th- this is great. I mean, I'm going to have to cut this event, this this interview eventually but i think we can make this 12 hours long i mean you got some great talking points here so but but anyway so let's talk about this let's dig deep in it okay so like what how long ago was this that you did this three years ago i can give you one that i did a year ago though that right. well wait a minute let's do let's stay on this one yeah three years ago 250 units empty the other is 60 percent i guess under market would you say as far as yes. the rents they were collecting yes Mm-hmm. and it, it's in Idaho. Uh, what did you do exactly? So there's three different levels that we look at. You have the physical level, like you, everything, all real estate assets, right? You have the operations, the policies, procedures, everything else like that. Then you have the financial side of it, which is rates, what you're selling, different revenue streams that are coming from it, right? This was one that had all three were lacking. It wasn't being operated and then the in which they all so it didn't look professional it didn't look good I mean, it, it was, it was being, being operated but just really poorly like really poor mom and pop dirty yeah to, yes nasty. exactly and then that led once again into the financial situations and two it had been built and so they had like 300 units that were all five by fives and nobody wanted five by fives and so there was nothing this guy knew what to do he didn't even know what to do with it and it was just wasting money. He was losing money. And he, he did. He got himself in a bad, bad position, was going to go bankrupt. And nobody wanted to buy it. And so we came in, we bought it. First thing we did is we went in and we changed the unit sizes. So we just started removing walls. And we do, so we, we focus a lot on revenue management. Like I don't really focus on cap rates, anything else like that, because I'm looking at the cash flows within the business. And I know that I have normally around three different lines of cash flow that I can get. I have all my product services, things like that, that's around 8% of the revenue, right? And there's zero here. I have my actual rent that I can do, which is the vast majority of it, right? But then too, you also have things like insurance where you can sell to tenants um, and some other things that you can do like that. So we needed to, first of all, rearrange that physical part, right? The first part, the looks, curb kill pill and the functionality of the asset. It wasn't right. So we went and did a a fairly heavy market study in the surrounding areas on price per square foot for products sold. Because in a storage unit, every single door is a different product with a different um, buyer, right? So the supply and demands of every single unit are different. 
and we focus heavily on uh, maximizing those different supply and demands. So we changed the supply and demand within the, the asset class. Then once we did that, we remodeled, put $100,000 into the front of the office. We focus heavily on customer satisfaction and perceived value, as I like to put it. When a customer comes in, what is the perceived value of what he's buying? We upgraded things like uh, security features, stuff like that. And then we instituted what is called dynamic pricing, as well as we institute um, a rate increase schedule per tenant as opposed to taking all units across the board, whatever they make. So the dynamic pricing. Yeah, what's dynamic pricing? So dynamic pricing is the idea that every person that walks into our door has a different value. So if I have a 10 by 10, right? Yep. That, 10, that 10 by 10, when I have 100 10 by 10s, let's say is worth 60 cents a square foot. But as that changes and as markets change, but as individuals change, you can actually change the demand of that 10 by 10. So there's three different types of customers. You have customers that care about price, you have customers that care about location, and then you have customers that care about quality. Well, the what they'll pay is different with all three of those. Mm -hmm. So I needed to cut out the lower two and pinpoint the top one. I needed to go after just the people that cared about quality. So what we did is we um, got and partnered with some heavy marketing centric people. We use a lot of data to identify those people and bring those people in and push all the bad payers to our neighbors. So that could be a conversation for another day. So yeah, that's fat. This is fascinating. Okay. So tell me how you did that. So we use online, everything from uh, Google, social media, different things like that to pinpoint and identify the customers in our market areas, which we knew household owners, three kids, um, one working parent with households at X size uh, were generally would pay for, for um, uh, 60 cents or higher, where we knew that a certain level and demographics would pay lower. We also knew people that visited a certain type of sites and had certain online habits were more likely to pay a higher, a higher percentage or of their income towards disposable things. So we would target those individuals as well. We would target people that at certain, or we would get rid of and not allow us to target certain people with certain online behaviors um, and lived in certain locations and acted certain ways. Um, so we would target people that were moving from certain areas while certain areas we would not allow our marketing to even be seen. So what we did is we made the customers we didn't want, we became invisible to, where we stole all the best customers from our competition, brought them in, offered them a product at a better value. And then two, as our demands and as the demands in the market and things change, we change our prices constantly. So I may have an individual that comes in and I know that I have a unit that I can price at a buck 80 a square foot where I may have another type with another individual that I can only price at 70 cents. And I'll price that to get those customers in. So not every unit is priced the same. So our, our per square foot price, that's why it went from 20 cents to on that asset where like 80 plus cents or whatever it is. And most of that was through demand uh, or changing product type and look. Did you change, do, I mean, yeah. besides put a hundred grand into the office, I mean, what did you do to add that? I mean, did you a, a, put air conditioning in these things? I mean, what no. what, what else did you do? Like, yeah, I know you, you took out all the walls. Did you make them all 10 by 10s or do you still got five by fives? We got rid of almost all the five by fives. We have one building with five by five, which equates to maybe 50. Then we changed, and we didn't change it to any one size. All the rest of those 300 units became five different product types. Okay. And we, but we didn't do, so we moved walls, but I, I don't want there to be this imagery of that we spruced. The building looks almost identical as when we bought it before. Colors are the same. Walls are the really? same. Yeah, we put the hundred grand into improvements. Though. So you you mark, you mark, you just marketed it? It's all through marketing? I mean, you, I mean, I know you made them bigger. Yeah, so it, it's two things. It's the marketing and then it's the dynamic pricing. So you got to realize that if, you, if you're willing to pay a dollar, yes. right? And I know there, there's a lifetime value of customers. And when people look at it, they look at sticker price, but I look at the lifetime value. So I know that your value to me equals two things. It not only equals what you'll pay, but it also equals the time that you are going to stay with me. That's how you get the true value. So I'm looking at people that are long-term customers that their total value to me may be, $10,000.
Well, what I'll do to them is I'll discount and give them big incentives. Then through dynamic pricing, I'll raise an aggressive pricing schedules up to a good rate. And then I'll have them at a higher rate for a longer period of time, which over three years blows up the cash flow. Interesting. 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 Okay. So let's move off this. This is cool. So uh, how, well, before we move off it, so how many of these, like how many units do you have now? How many different off storage facilities? Is uh, over 7,000 units. We have 11 and a, we're at 11 now. We've had over 15, over a million. So you square keep feet buying and you, you're just refining, you're fixing them up, you're refining, you're getting more cash, you're, you're going to buy more. It, that or we just use our cash flows coming out of it to use more. We And that's, it was interesting about the app, you know, on my one sheet, it asked, you know, how, how much money do you have to invest? And I'm like, normally I don't take money out. Like we'll use line of credits that have somewhere between three and $6 million because if I take that money out, it's, that's a tax-free way of taking it out and redeploying it. Yeah. And we'll keep our cash within the asset. So we, we play with those cash flows. Well, if you stopped today, let's say you stopped and you didn't buy anymore mm -hmm. and you just sat back, right? Yeah. How much money would you make, you know, profit for your family? Just your 25%, right? Cause you own this with three yes. other people. Yep. Yes. I'd make, Three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, so thirty thirty thousand dollars a month, and you know, not working a day in your life this point forward for three years worth of work. By the way, mind you, and and, and that's going to probably go up, right? Because rents are going up, and all these dynamic mm -hmm. pricing deals of getting people in early at cheap discounts are, are all going to wash away. And two, I pay no taxes because you put all the money back in. No, because we get so much depreciation from our assets. Oh, right. Okay. And yeah. so m the money we pull out is only equivalent to our tax rates. Right. But are you able to live off that? Yeah. I, uh, my total expenses uh, a month, my fixed expenses are like $3,000. I don't believe you. Okay. I, I, no. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> you, got four, you got four kids. Yes, I do. I mean, they eat three grand. <laughs> They're little kids right now. No, well, my kids. No, my really. Fixed. So you have variable, you have var I look at it in twofold. I have variable expenses and fixed expenses. If I included fixed expenses as far as electricity, I have no debt, and let's say food, yeah, it's about $3,000. Now, I use much more than that, but if I wanted to just sit at home and do nothing, I could do that off of five grand comfortably easily due to my, I have no debt. Your um, house is paid off. Your cars are paid off. Yep. I like to go on lots of vacations though, right? And I like to spend money on hotels and beaches. So yeah, I spend all- That, that all would jack, that's gonna jack, that's gonna double it at least, right? But two, my business pays for all of that. So yeah. that's, I actually, I pay for that now and that's outside. So I go to Hawaii, I go to the Virgin Islands, I go to Canada. How, I go, do, you guys, I how do you guys break that up? Like, like you each get a uh, travel budget or something? So we, um, it, luckily for me, it's my family. Um, so that uh, we travel mostly together. Together. Oh, so it's like yes. what, your, your brother and sister or how'd you do So that? it's my father and my brother-in-law. So it's us three that came together to form the company. Oh, okay, cool. All right. So th th fascinating. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, well, let's talk about your family. So tell me about your family. So I have four kids. I have a 11 year old girl who's my gem. She's my angel. Then I have three boys who are just as awesome as get as it gets. They're nine, five, and then now two and a half, which was the one that was born when I right before I went into the hospital. And my wife's incredible. We had private school, and she didn't like the fact that we were doing private school, so she just bought the school. So now our kids go to school and not have to pay tuition. So let me ask you about that. Okay, so what kind of school was this? So it was a private school where we wanted to focus on entrepreneurship. We wanted to focus on applicable real world things. We didn't like what the teachers were doing very much. And so she went in and just basically informed them that she wanted to buy the school and she needed to do it. And she had her, the parents were backing her. So she bought the school from them. And so we could focus more on it. We, we do like it, it's made to be like a comfortable environment for the children to learn real life world skills where we bring in entrepreneurs that have billions of dollars in assets that are doing online businesses that do hundreds of thousands and they teach entrepreneurship they teach finance things like that part of the day then we have them do all sorts of cool stuff i'm not really in the education world i just like the finance and entrepreneur stuff but they do a lot yeah, more no, that's cool <laughs> 
And, and so it's kind of like a co-op, everybody contributes? No, she owns it. So it was her and two partners. They all have to pay tuitions to come to the school and for their kids to be in their school. And so how it. many kids is it, or is it just the three families? We're at like, um, I think, just over 50 kids, and we're trying to buy new buildings to expand. Wow. So we need to move locations because we're kind of capped out there. So it must be working. Yes, it's, it, it's working very well. Each kid pays... 750 800 a month we have five teachers that we pay 3000 a month and we have 2500 worth of expenses on the buildings so yeah well that's exciting that keeps yeah. you busy or keeps her busy right i'm sure that's right and yeah. our kids get free free private school so there you go us. We, we, we like to, we like to live on very very again that yeah that's the way to get get, get those numbers down right cuz you had to pay for four kids. I mean, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, that's awesome! Hey, always, always thinking. Okay, so you like to travel. What? Where's your favorite place that you've been? I used to live in Brazil, and I, so I love Brazil. I lived in São Paulo, Brazil, for a few years, and my, we go back to Rio and travel around there. I speak Portuguese, so I love love Brazil. I love the culture. In fact, I was going to the Amazons when this happened uh, right before I was leaving to go fish up through the Amazons. We were going to go explore some areas up there. But. So, uh, so tell me, you lived, what, did this before family you lived in Brazil? How'd you end up yep. there? This is before family. I served a mission for my church and I went down there and tried to help people out and serve. And I, I just lived with the, it, it was, I went down there and we didn't speak English. We were allowed to speak English and I lived with Brazilians and we helped them and I worked every single day. And so I became quickly fluent in Portuguese and I um, could have probably stayed there forever. I, I, I loved it. I love Brazil. Yeah, I've never been to Brazil. No, no reason in particular, but that's good. All right. So, that, so today, till today, that's still your favorite place to go, huh? Yeah, I, I, we went back a few years ago and spent more time in Rio. And Rio is just, uh, it's just incredible. I could, I could get a second home and I may get a second home down in Rio because we just loved it. it. It was a really, really cool place. But other than that, Hawaii is probably just Hawaii's close. It's easy. We can take the kids there and there's just so many activities. We love the culture, you know, so we, we, we really do love Hawaii. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Wow. All right. So, all right. So, but, but before we go, AJ, I want to talk to you about, you know, all the other stuff you're going, cause you got a whole bunch of other companies uh, that you're involved with that you're starting. What, tell me about these. Yeah. So I, I have a very interesting view on capital. I don't use our money or our capital to buy really sweet cars, anything else like that. I love starting up businesses and I love investing capital. It's a game to me and I think it's fun. So I love working. It's, you know, I, I, I don't work because I need to. I work because I want to. And so I have other companies. I, my background is from insurance. So I start a brokerage firm for companies that we implement technology for mid-sized companies and small companies that don't have HR department to run their entire HR department off of. And we just started that about six months ago. And I'll probably make 200,000 off that just this year alone. What exactly, what exactly is it? This is a company yeah. you started, right? Yes. So you have health and welfare benefits like you know, once again, medical, vision, dental, life, right? That kind of stuff. Yeah, you, you have that if you work for a company that provides it. Exactly. And okay. companies that provide that, they usually do that through the HR departments. And the HR departments in most small companies are overwhelmed. They have no resources. And well, most small companies don't have HR departments, yep. even though they have HR tasks to do. I have over 50 employees, right? I don't have an HR department. So what we do is we help implement a software system that allows you to hire, fill out W-2s, regulations, filings automatically. And also it sends out information and people can enroll in their benefits, choose voluntary benefits and everything all online. And this is for small companies. Large companies have this. You, you built this software? So we teamed up with, so I'm not a software developer, but we teamed up and had somebody build it out for us. And then we license it and we roll that out to... And it's, yeah, it's going great. We have, people are calling nonstop and we're having meetings. So that's Bro, you really got uh, you got. Have you met Mark Swagger yet? I have not. You need to meet Mark. He's, uh, he's, he's a big go bondsman, one of our original members. And he has a company, Infinity HR, and they do, they do 
payroll, PEO, you know, insurance, everything. So yes. I'll make I'll make you the connection. I'll, Thank I'll, you. I'll text you and text him together. But awesome. But that's great. So you just started that. Now you start. Uh -huh. You got something else going on, right? You said yeah. multiple. I started that. Yeah, I started that one in a wheelchair. Then after I got done and came out of that, I started. We we have a supplement company that my wife originally started to make it. We got two other people to come on, and it's specifically targeted for dealing with anxiety and natural ways. So we're like rolling supplements back. like like St. John's Wort and stuff like that. Like like. It's a supplement company that is a homeopathic solution yep. to the anxiety epidemic that exists. We, we, my daughter was having anxiety in school. We took her in to a therapist or doctor or whatever, and they wanted to give her medication. And my yep. wife's like, nope. And because of that, she developed this. And so we're, we're building that out, and we have a great team. And that should launch in the next two months. That's interesting. So then you just did some research as to, yep. you know, what supplements and vitamins are good for anxiety. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you found them. And yep. it, Called not, a bunch of doctors and worked forever on it. Not, nothing proprietary, but no, but, but because they, they, they exist and you're going to buy them from supplement companies. Yes. But, but it's, but, but what's different is that you're, going to specialize in this, right? You're yeah, only, and, you know, and it's a proprietary formula that was created by doctors. So it's a formula that other people don't have. Your formula? Yes. So tell me about that. So like, did you just get some vitamins and minerals and, and, and supplements and crush them all up and mix them together and come up with this and feed them to your daughter? And then she said, I'm not worried about stuff anymore. Or like, how, what, uh, I'm exaggerating. So reached, yeah, yeah, yeah. We reached out to not only the manufacturers, but we reached out to a bunch of experts in the industry, like doctors. And then we reached out to the government and we took all the government's filing papers and we looked at what the government had approved as actually helping and not helping that the government had given their stamp of approval on. We, after what we got from the list of the government, we then turned to the doctors. We supplied them with all this information and we asked them to go through and give us a pros and cons list. And we charted out and created basically from help of the government and uh, a bunch of doctors, more of the exact formula that we should use because we found other supplements that had a lot of ingredients that first of all the government didn't approve they were like we don't that has no correlation with reduction in anxiety and virtually every supplement had those in them and we're like that's either filler or just made up and so we took all the government what the government had said we find a direct correlation with reduction in anxiety. And then from there, we took it to the doctors and they brought down to six of the most effective ones. And we proprietized that formula and we'll be rolling that. Did you pay for that? Or is it one of these docs? Oh, you're part paid. Of, you paid. So you paid, yes. so what, 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 what did you say you paid a doctor to consult? And, and Our total startup costs for the formulas, everything else like that, plus the, I guess the legal works in there too. It was like $30,000. Okay. Wow. What are you going to call it? It's called Peaceful Nutrition, but the company that owns it and runs it's Ops Labs um, because we're looking at other formulas to develop and launch right now too. So we didn't want to stick because it will be it's anxiety supplement, but we'll be dropping other supplements alongside. So Ops Labs is the, is the company. Peaceful Nutrition. That's mm -hmm. the name of it. That's what it'll say on the bottle. Peaceful, peaceful nutrition, nutritional peace, healthy peace. Uh, you probably could play with that to make it flow better, but peaceful nutrition, maybe that's peaceful nutrition. Yeah. Anyways, that's, that's cool stuff. Uh, okay. Is there a third one? Are you working on another one? Yeah, I do a lot of speaking and um, I do some seed round investments in different companies. So I have an, I have an online thing that I run a blog, a podcast, video. And, what's it called? Um, so what's uh, it's cashflow cash to freedom with the number of two. And it teaches everything from not only investing, but how to scale investments into. How's, how's it go? How are your downloads? Good. I just started recently and I've got I think, a few thousand downloads. And I like started, like I started like two weeks ago. I launched so the yeah. podcast good. and everything that's else. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, uh, you know, talking about passive income, horizontal. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I'm trying to create, a, and two, I also give tools. Like I have this dynamic investing. A tool that I actually paid three thousand dollars. It was a team. Took three months, people to make, and it's putting your income expenses in, 
and then investing schedules with the cash flow from savings and how to compound that out. And then it graphs and charts your way to financial freedom. So I got some cool stuff on that that is very dynamic that people can use to create a working plan and work through their investment strategies to see if it'll actually play out the way they do. do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop some courses on there like self-storage, things like that to drive some income because I have three people working for me on that alone. And so I'm like, I should probably get, you know, some revenue from it. To, yeah, monetize it. Yeah. So, so what's the name of your blog? Is it the same? Uh, it's Cashflow to Freedom, the number two. Cashflow. Same, same as the podcast. Yep. Cashflow to Freedom. Well, guys, check that out. Awesome. Is there a fourth? Or uh, fifth I'm, sure there, I'm sure there will be soon, but right now. <laughs> right now, I'll just stick with the school, the supplement company, and my. Yeah, well, shit. It's, I mean, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun now that you're liberated from your corporate job and, and i am i hate to say it but it almost sounds like a it was a blessing in disguise huh it, it was and two that's the thing you have to realize what happened to me was a blessing my eyes are open i have a second chance at life nobody hugs their kids the way that i hug my kids and realize the first time that i was able to drink water is not even explainable i can't even tell you the joy to have water run down your lips and go down your throat I started crying because I was able to drink water. The first time that I was able to hold my children, the first time that I was able to get out of a bed. I mean, it, I'm gonna, I have just no ends to what I want to do and what I'm going to do because I can. And I've been given a second chance and I, I believe that it, it is my obligation to make it worth and I really don't want to waste it. And that's really important. Yeah, I mean, I got, it's gotta be massively profound in, in, in your head. You know, as the your appreciation of life of everything, right, Ever. has got to be amplified beyond belief. Oh, it, it, my whole life has been amplified through the experience. And people are looking like, oh, so how is it being disabled? I'm like, I am not disabled at all. I'm like, if anything, I am more liberated than I ever was. And what I believe is possible now is it's completely changed. That my my dynamics and the lens in which I I see life through changed at what I believe is possible or what I believe is worth trying for. I'm really not, in, I'm not worried about failing or embarrassing because I'm like, I laid in a bed and I had nurses clean me for months. I'm like, there's, there's no shame in failing. I just don't, little things like that. I don't worry about it. I don't care about that stuff anymore. I'm like, who cares? I'm like, I'm going after it. And, uh, I, and I'm not holding anything back. Yeah, that's amazing. That's very interesting. Well, well, good stuff. Well, AJ, like I said, we could talk forever, but we don't want to make the podcast too long. I really appreciate you know you coming on today and appreciate your contribution within GoBundance. What are you looking forward to most about being in the GoBundance tribe? I, so I'm looking for, I think, a few things. I was really impressed, first of all, with you know meeting Brandon and just talking with them and and David, and it, it's, I've met, obviously, with my GoPod, I'm, I am big on holding yourself to goals. And two, I'm big on having really big goals. And I, I know that, you know, it, take, it creates, you need people to get you to your goals. And you are simply with who you surround yourself with. And I like to surround myself with big thinkers. I like to surround myself with people that are like, take responsibility of outcomes in their life. And they want to live a life worth living. And that attracted me so much to GoBundance because it was so different than anything I'd ever seen. I'd never even been a part of anything that before because I always thought it was a waste of time or whatnot. But it's the relationship that GoBundance has between family, lifestyle, and finance and, uh, you know, and how that capital you can achieve. All this. I, I just, I really did. I kind of fell in love and my GoPod's amazing. The guys in there are amazing. I get so many ideas out of them already. Um, I've been, you know, even on the social media stuff, looking at it, it's just fun to be a part of a group that has the same mindset as you that will help you get to your goals and live the best life possible. I, I just love that. How, how do you and your GoPod uh, organize your discussions when you meet? 
So my GoPods kind of changed. It originally started out, there was just three of us. Now we have about five of us and we're still just getting through our one sheets. So we're really new at it and getting through the one sheets, but most of it has been introductory. Uh, introductory. Like we'd introduce a new member coming in. They tell us all about them, what they're doing. And outside the GoPod though, I've already reached out and been able to work with a few of the members and they were looking at different assets. I got to help look at them with and it's, you know, it's, I was amazed that we came in a GoPod and it was almost immediately a community. We all really said, hey, you're going to be in San Diego. I'm going to be in San Diego next month. I'm going to go meet one of the GoPod guys. It was just, they were so open, which I, I'm very open. I want to help other people. I like to give more than I take. And it's like, that's how they were. It was just, everybody was open, honest. Let's talk about it real. So I, maybe I'm lucky. I don't know. I, I have an awesome yeah, that's awesome. It's a, it is amazing how the connection is so instant. I'm, I'm and uh, you know my and Mike, I'm in two GoPods. One is you know just with the elders of the company, but the the other one uh, is there's five guys in our GoPod, and we met in Chicago, and it was like instant stayed at one of the guys' houses, and and just instant we just had a blast from every every second, and you know that was the first time we spent a lot of you know, one-on-one time with each other. So it's, it's funny, but you know, you have, I, I think you, you like people that have similar likes. Yeah. And yeah. you know, with, with GoBundance, we all like building epic lives. We all like making money. We all like creating things that pay us passively because it's cool, you know, yeah. and when we understand that it's cool. And uh, I, I think that the, it's harder to find people that think that that's cool. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. A hundred percent. Awesome, dude. Well, listen, hopefully I look forward to uh, meeting you at one of the GoBundance events in the near future. And we'll definitely sit down and uh, break some bread together, my friend. Sounds great. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate it. It was great meeting you. Nice to meet you. In life, to be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded, but I love my wife. I love my life, and I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, bitch. Now you can create.